day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I want to talk about the rain, the flooding, the power outages, all of the damage that we have suffered this summer in southeast Michigan as a result of the weather. It feels like we could start a show every week with those words, rain, flooding, power outages, damage. Over the weekend, that's exactly what we saw. Freeways were once again filled with water, stranding motorists all over the roads, basements flooded with water yet again, and hundreds and hundreds of DTE customers lost power. Many of them are still waiting for that power to come back, and we saw something we don't see often in this part of the state. We saw some tornadoes over the weekend. The National Weather Service confirmed that four tornadoes hit southeast Michigan on Saturday night. So the question is, is this a new normal? Does the changing climate mean these problems are here to stay? And will it only get worse? And the bigger question is, how do we fix this? If we wanted to say tomorrow, we don't ever want this to happen again. We never want to have sewage backups in people's basements because of the rain. We never want to see freeways flooded. What would we have to do? Are we helpless to reverse these trends? Or are there things that we could be doing that would really reverse this slide? Are there things that we could be doing that would have us adapt to the changing climate in a way that didn't put so much of our lives at risk. That is where we want to begin the conversation today, with getting down to the essence of what lies ahead of us, what is this challenge that we're facing, and what are the things that we're going to have to do to meet it. Joining us now to talk about that is Nick Schreck. He is Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor at the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. Nick, welcome back to Detroit. Hey, Stephen. So let's start with you describing the situation that we're seeing this summer in the bigger context of climate change. I know enough about this subject to know that weather and climate are two different things. You can have uh, an experience with weather that doesn't say what you might logically conclude about the climate. But there's no question that the weather this summer is so different that it seems connected to the climate change that we know has been happening for some time. That's right. The mantra has been for a long time that we know there's a difference between climate and there's a difference between the weather that you might see out your window. We've had those stories over the years where people in um, warmer weather states will say, well, how can there be global warming when it's it's snowing here in um, you know Washington, D.C. at an odd time of the year? Um, but what we know is that with warmer air temperatures, we will that air then can hold more moisture and then that moisture can lead to more intense storms like we're seeing more regularly here in Southeast Michigan. And I mean, to your point, 
we have to also look at this as a global issue. Um, you know, the, the wildfires in the Western United States and Western Canada, the dr extreme drought that we're seeing in the Western United States, but then also the floods in Europe. I mean, catastrophic flooding in Germany, the Netherlands and Belgium just a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're seeing catastrophic flooding in China. So, I mean, this is happening all around the globe. Um, we're feeling those impacts here. And again, with this is as predicted with warming air temperatures, that air holds more moisture and then that leads to more intense rainfall, heavier precipitation, and it can also lead to these extreme weather outbreaks like the tornadoes that we saw last weekend. Hmm. So let's get right to it. I, I'm tired of this. I know lots of other people who have had enough. I mean, I think it's ridiculous, the things that are happening and the frequency with right. which they're happening. And I, I think all of us feel pretty helpless right now in terms of saying, well, here, here's how to make it stop. So are we helpless? Are we beyond the point where we could uh, send this in a, in a different direction? Or are there things that no matter how difficult that we might be able to do that would have a short-term impact on what's happening? And then, of course, a long-term impact on adapting to the, the way that the climate is changing. Yeah, and it's a it's a multifaceted problem. I mean, as I mentioned, there are global issues related to climate change. But to your question, there are things that we can do here locally to not only slow or mitigate the you know coming changes that we will see through a warmer world um, and more extreme weather events. Um, there's also things that we can do with our infrastructure here locally to help reduce and prevent some of the catastrophic flooding that we've seen repeatedly now this summer and many times over the past uh, several years. So in terms of the, the global question and about you know, how do we uh, limit the impacts of climate change, this is really a key discussion. Later this summer, there will be leading scientists and dignitaries from all over the world in Glasgow, Scotland, talking about the latest climate science and what the world can hopefully do in terms of reducing our global uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, in the United States and here in, in Michigan, primarily what we're talking about is the transportation sector. That is the, the biggest source of emissions. So you're seeing you know, more of a push for electric vehicles. Um, I, I've really <laughs> come around on this, Stephen, to thinking more about you know, it's not going to be all of us driving cars, whether they're electric vehicles or gasoline vehicles, that's the solution. I mean, I really think we need to invest significantly in transit um, to move people, get people where they need to go um, without increased emissions and without more concrete. Um, and this gets to my infrastructure point. So we have a lot of roads. We have a, a, a massive built environment here in Southeast Michigan, concrete and buildings. Um, the water doesn't have anywhere to go. It needs to be funneled somewhere and, and sent somewhere. And that's where we see these, um, you know, major rain events lead to huge floods on our on our rivers and, and then backing up into, I'm sorry, on our roads, and then also backing up into people's basements and, and other flooding. And so, you know, looking at how we can perhaps change to some, you know, more mass transit solutions, and then also reducing those hard surfaces like concrete and roofs, coming up with ways like green infrastructure, which basically means letting water soak into the ground, right? Diverting it into open spaces and allowing that water to uh, percolate into the ground um, naturally. I mean, those are just some real basic things we need to think about is, is how we can kind of change the way that we get around uh, through transportation. And then of course, energy. So just real quickly, um, we need to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions from the energy sector too, meaning the electricity and the way that we heat our homes. So um, I, the more that we can invest in things like wind and solar, which we've talked about many, many times, 
Great news is there, the prices continue to come down. Um, so what we're seeing some real advancements and then looking at the way that we we heat our homes. Um, I think that's gonna be the next big push. You'll, you'll start hearing more about things like heat pumps, which are basically just an exchange of the outdoor air and the indoor air, mm-hmm. uh, taking energy out of that air. And then also looking at things like geothermal heating um, where we can perhaps save on natural gas, which of course also burning natural gas leads to greenhouse gas emissions. So there's a lot, um, but but there are some, some things we can do like from in terms of infrastructure and transit, um, also, of course, looking at our, our sewer and water infrastructure, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Hmm. So when we talk about these changes and the ways in which we could slow the effects of all of this, I think one of the real hurdles is that too many people think we could make uh, small tweaks, I guess, to our lives, little things that we could do differently that would that would have an effect. And And it seems to me that that the lesson of this summer might be that that's not going to be enough, that, that that we have to make pretty dramatic shifts in the way we do some things uh, in order to have the effect that we're going to want to have, which is, again, to not see these these catastrophic consequences each time each time it rains. Uh, w- w- right. Would you would you say that that's true, that that? Uh, that this is a wake-up call of a different nature than we've had before and that, that uh, you know, slight adjustments to things are probably not going to be enough? I think that's true. And there's, look, we're a society that values individualism and, you know, each person having their own personal responsibility. We've seen the limitations of that, certainly in the, you know, COVID-19 pandemic. But this is, you know, related to, to climate change and to our collective response. You know, you and I, Stephen, yes, we can help a little bit by dialing down our thermostat, by, you know, putting in um, the, the high efficiency fixtures, toilets, light bulbs, all that kind of stuff helps. We can, you know, reduce our consumption of goods and we can try and, you know, promote recycling and reduce waste. That, that all is helpful. Those are all really good things. Um, we can ride our bike once in a while. We can take the bus. But you're absolutely right that what we need are very large changes in the way that we do things like generate electricity, the way that we move the vast majority of our people you know, to and from work, to and from school. Um, these are big shifts that do need to occur. Uh, the way that we use our land, right? The way that we um, are, are the type of agriculture that we're using. I mean, these are really big shifts that it won't be enough to just have small, subtle individual changes. We need, you know, national and international action. So that that means legislation. I mean, one of the things I'm frustrated about is that we still don't have a, a climate bill that has made its way through the U.S. Congress ever. Um, and so, you know, that that's a huge thing that we need to address nationally. And doing these things like, yes, we can all do our part individually. That's great. But we really do need these big, large systemic changes or I think we're going to continue to be behind the eight ball in terms of a warming world and our inadequate response to upgrading our infrastructure, upgrading our resiliency to meet that that changing climate. Hmm. I'm talking with Nick Schreck. He's associate dean of experiential education and associate professor at the U of D Mercy Law School. Uh, we're talking about the damage that we're all living with now each time it rains, the flooding, the power outages, the damage to infrastructure that we see each time we get one of these pretty violent storms that we've had over the last month or so here in southeast Michigan. The question is, how would we stop that? How would we stop the damage, the the consequences that we live with because of these storms? Of course, these storms are likely the result of the changing climate, which means that uh, they're not going anywhere. 
we are going to have these kinds of weather events more frequently. They will be more intense. So what do we need to do to make sure that it doesn't destroy the world that we live in? What kinds of dramatic changes would you be willing to make to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore. Uh, we want to hear from you about uh, what you think about what we've experienced this summer and what you might be willing to do to make sure that uh, we don't keep experiencing it. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and to Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll try to include you in the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Nick, I, I want to talk about the water system here mm -hmm. in southeast Michigan, which is an, an important mitigator for some of this, uh, some of this flooding. Uh, we've got systems that are designed to pump the water away from people's basements and yards uh, and into the river or into the lake. Uh, they're not working. They aren't working the way that we all expect them to work. Uh, the price tag for fixing that is anywhere between, I've heard in the last month, you know, $5 billion to $18 billion, which is what uh, Sue McCormick, who runs the Great Lakes Water Authority, estimates it would cost us to separate the two sewer systems. Uh, how important is it that we think differently about water infrastructure? And importantly, how much would we have to pay on our water bills, for instance, to catch up, I mean, are we talking about doubling water bills in Southeast Michigan, where people complain all the time already about the cost of water? But is something that dramatic in order uh, to, to make sure that the, the, the system has the capacity it needs and can function the way it's supposed to? Yeah, and I'll leave it to others to talk about the price tag. I mean, that's that's way out of my wheelhouse, but but I will say this. The, the cheapest sewer system or the, the cheapest series of pipes to build is that which you don't build. Um, and what I mean by that is if we can avoid, um, you know, adding very expensive, large scale um, infrastructure below ground for our sewer system, um, hopefully that can save some costs. And the way that you avoid those major investments is through diverting rainwater, stormwater from the sewer system itself. And now you hinted at this, Stephen, but it's important, I think, to, to talk about that most of our sewer systems here in Southeast Michigan, they're what's called a combined sewer. So that means our sanitary sewer, when we flush the toilet, um, that is connected to the storm drains or mm -hmm. the when, when water comes down when it rains or when you have snow melt. And so when you have these significant rain events, the system gets overwhelmed. And either you have to release some of that treated or partially treated wastewater into the Rouge River, the Detroit River, Lake St. Clair, um, or yet you hold things back. And that's when you lead to these kind of catastrophic failures where you have people's basements flooded with, with contaminated water that's very unhealthy. So the way that you get through that is either you reduce the amount of flow going into the system. And that's what I'm talking about, you know, trying to divert some of this rainwater to more green infrastructure and keeping it out of the pipes, or you have to build much bigger pipes. The problem with building bigger pipes is that I just think it, it, it's a, you're, you're going to keep chasing this capacity limit that we're, we're not going to be able to meet because of these ever increasing storms. Quick example, you know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, they built this thing called the deep tunnel, which I'm sure some of the listeners have heard about. They made this massive underground storage tank near Lake Michigan to divert all of their combined sewage waste during rain events. And then once the rain subsided, they could pump it back into the wastewater treatment plant treat it before it gets discharged into Lake Michigan. 
Well, you know, that system, it's already, you know, having capacity issues because of these higher rain events. So, you know, they spent, I don't remember the price tag, but, you know, gobs of money on building this system. So I think that's one way for us to, to get through it is to try and divert a lot of this rainwater from the combined sewer system. Because, yeah, the estimates for separating that sewer system are very high. And people are already struggling with paying their water bills. And as, you're, as you pointed out, Stephen, I mean, it's, it's not just our water. We pay water and sewer. And, and the reason why our water bills are often so high is because of this debt associated with infrastructure investments on the sewer side mm -hmm. of things, mm -hmm. um, particularly residents in the city of Detroit are paying a higher percentage of that sewer debt. So, you know, how can we solve this problem or at least, you know, limit the amount of these types of incidents, these type of flooding incidents without going into more debt? Um, I think one way to do that is to divert that rainwater as much as we can from the sewer system itself. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to David in Washtenaw County. David, what's on your mind? Hello. Uh, I'd like to say that green infrastructure is a great way to go. Planting trees is really important. Individuals can do this. Uh, I do on my land here. People can do this in urban areas. They can do it in their backyard. They can be fruit or timber or firewood trees. Um, the government can support education programs and facilitate the availability of trees to plant. There should be a big overreaching effort to do this, as well as down to the individual. Those trees will absorb rainwater and help keep our rivers and our basements um, from absorbing too much at one time. Mm. Uh, David, uh, great call and great suggestion. Nick, can you quickly explain the value of planting trees, what that does to try to mitigate this, yeah. uh, this water. Yeah, great, great comment. And, yeah. and that's right. So, and there are certain species of trees. Um, you, know, you know, if you go by like Belle Isle is a good example. A lot of the trees that are there, they're things like willow trees, which are, um, they absorb a lot of water. They're fast growing. Um, but in general, if you, if, if we increase our tree canopy, the number of trees we have in the city of Detroit, that means we're also reducing the amount of concrete and pavement. Um, and, and that also allows, you know, more water to be absorbed. And yeah, trees have massive root systems that can suck up a lot of water and store a lot of water. Um, and there are some really interesting initiatives looked at kind of reforesting the city of Detroit. And I think a lot of our, our vacant areas, um, you know, until there's some new development coming back in in certain areas, it's a great idea to, to plant a lot of trees and create these, these really park-like settings where we could divert this rainwater, um, you know, have tree plantings there, other attractive um, type of plantings that can absorb that water and help uh, put it to a good use. And then the final thing I'll say, an increased tree canopy, that's a cooling effect. We hear a lot about the urban heat island, you know, all the, all the concrete and roofs, having more trees, more shade, that has a cooling effect in the city. And that's exactly what uh, Paris, France, the people that are interested in this, take a look at what they're doing in Paris. They're trying to, you know, reforest a lot of the city and by and also remove a bunch of concrete and pavement uh, as a way to try and cool and to meet this, this warming world that we're living in. Hmm. Uh, again, David, thanks very much for the call and the really great suggestion. Let's go to Kevin in Detroit. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for mm -hmm. having me. Appreciate uh, the conversation. Um, I just wanted to ask a quick question about uh, we've had discussions in Detroit about uh, infilling some of our crosstown uh, urban freeways. Uh, could we use those as places where they could um, divert water and use it as like uh, large scale re water retention areas or mm. wetlands? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Kevin. Uh, 
uh, Nick, we, we saw that the freeways fill up with water partially right. uh, because they're low-lying areas and, and when the rest of the system is full of water, there's nowhere else for it to go. Could that be something we take advantage of rather than uh, are victims of? Well, I would certainly like to see us, you know, not expand our freeways and add lanes like, uh, you know, plan is for I-94 through the city of Detroit, which uh-huh. I-94 has flooded many times. You know, cer- certainly I think adding lanes is, is it's again, it's, it's we're, we're chasing some sort of perceived good, which is easier traffic flow, which I think we can, you know, argue a lot about whether or not that happens, but we're leading to these knock-on effects from, from climate change. And so, so to the, to the caller's point, I mean, I think, some of these low-lying areas, which these highways that are below grade, they need these pumping stations to be able to clear water when we have significant rain events. I mean, yes, could we look at turning some of those low-lying areas into, into part of our greenway network, right? Maybe they're, they're parks or they're, they're recreation paths that, yes, when it rains a lot, they flood and people then um, you know, aren't going to be you know, riding your bikes or, or taking a stroll with your kids along those walkways. They're going to be um, a green water retention area. I mean, that's a future that I, I like. I think that's exciting to me. Um, I think for, for a lot of people, it, it'll take a little bit more work for us to get them there because we're so focused on, you know, cars and roads and, and that that's the way that we, we move around and the way that we live our lives. But I do think turning some of that, I call it excess road, excess road capacity because we have, you know, fewer people driving on, on these roads. I think we could turn some of that into some green infrastructure space and yeah, create some park-like settings to help beautify the city. It seems like there's one thing for sure is that uh, we have a lot of work to do and that <laughs> it's going to be pretty difficult to to wrap our minds around it. Uh, Nick Schreck of the UOD Mercy Law School, always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Stephen. Coming up, we're going to continue this conversation about climate change and what it might mean for us here in Southeast Michigan. I'll talk with Beth Gibbons, who's executive director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals, after a short break. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.